If you have a way to see God's words, look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, let me, uh, I just want to kind of, this is a busy time of year. I just want to kind of catch you up on a couple things. First of all, first of all in the handout, you're going to see that there's uh, the homebound Christmas cards. Uh, listen, this is a great ministry for those in our church family that just can't get out, can't come and join us here physically at this site. And uh, they do tune in many times to the live stream. Uh, but many of them just can't get out, and it's a great ministry to them. So uh, we ask our members to put, uh, put a car, uh, get a card. There's the names right there on the list. And we ask you to just fill that out. Maybe send a picture, maybe some encouraging word to them. They cherish these cards. I'm just going to tell you. I, I go and follow up sometimes, and uh, they do cherish these cards. So I want to make that available to you. Uh, you can turn them in to the stations as you leave these rooms. Uh, this room. Also, uh, the budget and deacon nominees will be voting on them next Sunday. Okay, so please make sure you're here next week. We're going to do that at the end of each gathering. Uh, and then also, this would sad, it's kind of real, kind of heavy on our hearts right now, but Rick Alexander, some of you know Ricky, passed away this past Wednesday. A uh, longtime greeter here in our church family. We just love him to death, and him and Rhonda, and they serve so faithfully. And uh, they're going to receive friends tonight at Cecil Burton's from 6 to 7.30. And the funeral will be here, right here in this room at 2 o'clock tomorrow. So uh, we're praying for this family also. And uh, it is so good to have Eric and Teresa here with us uh, here at the church. I actually went to school with Eric. We used to sit there and dream about what the future looked like back in Gardner-Webb days. And uh, Eric now has a job with the county where he serves and ministers to the county employees. And uh, what a great opportunity he has. And y'all pray for him and his ministry also. All right, Experiencing God, we're Unit 12. Uh, this will be the last sermon we'll preach to kind of introduce what you're getting into this week. And if you've looked in, at the workbook for this coming week, every day uh, they take the, the, the subject matter and go in many different ways all five days. So I basically had to choose one of the subject matters. And I chose basically the idea of experiencing God as couples. How do we as couples, if you have a spouse in your life and you're there, how do we do this together? How do we experience God together? Now, when you think about it, everything that God has created has not, has not only purpose, but there's also a structure associated with it. And this would include the institution of marriage. God, we know, is a God of order, and within the family, he speaks to that order. So everything that God commands is intended. Now, this is important to note. Everything he commands intent is intended to bring protection, provision, and purpose to our lives. And this would include his instruction to the family, to the husband and the wife. So look at the introduction. For a couple to experience God together, they must understand and live the roles and responsibility God has given them. Now, as I said before, God esteems marriage to be the highest of all human relationships. That is something that he did. Now, we know that because it's very important. He establishes right off the bat in Genesis chapter 2. He brought a man and a woman together, and basically he performed the first marriage ceremony. And it's so important that we get our minds around the fact that God, as we say, not only creates purpose, but he also brings structure to the purpose. Now, in this letter, Peter addresses the wives and the husbands. Now, you ladies are sitting here this morning, and you probably have looked down, and you'll see that he's dedicated six verses to you 
and only seven, only one verse to men, okay, or husbands. Now, let me say that, that this is something you need to understand. What he's going to do in verse 7 when he speaks to men or husbands, he's going to bullet point the points. He's going to go boom, boom, boom. And to be honest with you, you ladies know that. That's really the only way we get it. We can't have a lot of freely conversation or a lot of words associated. We need the bullet points. And that's what he does here. But he begins to share with women first of all. And the first thing we see here is a word to wives concerning husbands. And the first thing is be submissive. Now, at this point, I'd love to turn this sermon over to someone else, but I'm not able to this morning, okay? So, in 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, why would he say likewise? Well, if you go to to 1 Peter chapter 2, you'll see there's other relationships that he talks about between workers and employers, and he talks about that in the context of submission. And basically, this idea of submission not only has something to do with authority, it also has much to do with meeting the needs of another, the worker meeting the needs of the employer and vice versa. And that not only goes from the work environment, it carries out in the family environment. Now, let me just say this. This idea that wives be submissive is really not well accepted in our culture in the 21st century. And the biggest reason is because it's misunderstood. It's so misunderstood. But let me give you some things that submission is not. Submission is not agreeing with everything your husband says. Okay, I have a wife. She's a strong woman. She has an opinion about things. How many of you are married to that? Or you know what I'm talking about. They have an opinion about things. And, and it's not, submission is not that no one has an, she doesn't have an opinion anymore. She has an opinion, and it matters. So it's not that. It's not leaving your brain on your, uh, or your will at the wedding altar. It's not believing that a wife is inferior or unequal. It's not putting the will of her husband before the will of Christ. It's not getting your spiritual strength primarily through your husband, and it's not acting out of fear towards your husband. It's none of these things. But so many times, submission, when it's raised, it's not raised in the proper context. It's not shared in the right way. Let me show you something here. In Galatians chapter 3, this is talking about the kingdom of God. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one. That, that, that means that one is not above the other. It's not that there's this lacking for one and, and, and more for the other. No. Now, what we do understand, we're all equal before God, but he does give us responsibilities. He does give us roles, and we're expected to play out those roles. So, what we're seeing here is a role or responsibility structure that God has set up in the family. Now, let me tell you what submission is. Submission is affirming your husband's calling of leadership, that God has placed him in your home, that there is a certain amount of leadership that should come from the husband. It's also placing yourself under your husband's leadership. Now, again, this is not one of them things where it becomes abusive or or, or, or uh, tyranny-driven. It's not those things. It's It's also allowing your husband to lead, to allow him to lead. Now, where do we get the context of how this should look? Well, Paul wrote about it beautifully in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to what he said. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then he says this, and this is key. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, I'm going to tell you, when when a woman, when a wife knows that her husband is all about her, he's willing to make sacrifices on her behalf, He's willing to even lay his life down for her as Christ did for the church. Many women don't have a problem with this whole idea. It's all rest. I'm convinced that most of this, when it comes to understanding that dynamic of this structure, a lot of it rests on the husband and his leadership as he begins to lead. Now, as I said, if a man loves and treats his wife as Christ treated and loved and treated the church and loved the church, then it would make it a whole lot easier for women in the role that God's placed for them. And and you see, we as men, we can make that so much easier if we will just be as Christ was to the church. So, wives submitting also implies that God holds husbands responsible for their families. Now, how many of you men, yeah, no, man, that's a heavy one, isn't it? that we are responsible for our families. God's pointed that out. We are the priest of our families. Next, wives are to be respectful. And there's two reasons we're looking at this. First of all, to meet his greatest spiritual need, and that is salvation. Look at verse 1 again. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some, that speaking of husbands, do not obey the word, that means they haven't come under the authority of God's word, those husbands without a word may be won by the conduct, some of your translations would say, by the conversations of their wives. When they, the husbands, observe your chaste conduct or conversations. It's one of those things where the wife is capable of bringing Christ on the radar for her husband. That she begins to live in such a way that causes attention to Christ, that brings Jesus into the limelight. Now, let me just say this. Many times, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, we are called to be equally yoked. First of all, when we are to marry someone, the Bible says we should be equally yoked. That means we need to be believers coming together to make this happen. But in the case that that doesn't happen, the Bible says that the wife has a very important role for that husband who may be lost or even wayward. She can represent Jesus in such a way that can bring that husband alongside. So husbands may be won by the conduct or conversations of their wives. That means this, undefiled conduct or conversation, and it's talking about this, not manipulative. So Just as Peter wrote in chapter 2, no matter what our condition is in this life, we should be a witness for the Lord in in order to bring others to Christ. That would even include our spouses. We have a responsibility to live in such a way that will bring attention to Christ in that spouse's life. Next, wives be respectful, but secondly, to meet his greatest emotional need, and that being respect. Look at the second verse. He says, all this accompanied by fear. Now, the word fear in this context 
is actually better translated, and some translations use it as respect. It's interesting that Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5. If you keep reading in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, here's what Paul says about this. Nevertheless, let each one of you husbands in particular so love his wife as himself. That's the idea of cherishing her. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, you could say, is that a, a domineering presence? Is that that authority being thrown around? No, it's just basic stuff. Let me just say this. When he talks about the husband's loving the wife as himself, it is the whole idea of cherishing. I've never met a woman that didn't want to be cherished. I've never had someone come in and say, uh, preacher, I got to meet with you. And they sat down and they said, I just want you to know my husband cherishes me more than I can handle. I have never heard that. And thank goodness, I've never heard a man come to me and say, my wife, she never cherishes me. I'd probably smack him and send him out of the office. <laughs> but what is it that men need? What is the emotional support that men need? That whole idea of respect. I don't hear men going around saying, cherish me more. It's more of respect. And Paul's identifying through the Holy Spirit what our greatest needs are. And we see it so clearly here. And then this, wives, be beautiful. But how? Well, there's an outer beauty which should be secondary. Now, we've all heard it said, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Meaning, different people have different ideas about what beauty truly is. Matter of fact, how many of you have ever looked on the internet and found, throughout the ages, what was considered beauty? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that, say? Have you ever gone back to 1700s and, and they have a woman there and that's considered beauty? 1800s, that's considered beauty? I mean, now we live in an age, well, it wasn't 20 years ago, uh, no meat on the bone, the prettier they were, it seemed. I don't know. But anyway, that's terrible, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> but the point is those things change and they go from different people. And so basically, this idea of outward beauty is secondary. Look at verse 3. He says, do not let your adornment be merely, it says it has a role, but don't let it be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Now, the word adornment in this context means to arrange in a way that adds beauty. And it's really where we get the word cosmetics from. So Peter is not saying that women should not use makeup or external helps. He is saying that if all your effort and investment is only in the external beauty, then in the future, there could be disappointment. That you are not focusing on what is the most important. The most important. And that is what? An inner beauty. In Proverbs 31, it says this. Charm is deceptful deceptive and beauty is fleeting but a woman who fears the lord is to be praised and that is the clue that we find that god is looking for inner beauty that is primary outer beauty beauty according to god secondary inner beauty is primary that's what he upholds and we see this so peter in verse 4 is about to challenge women to cultivate an inner beauty that is more radiant and permanent than any outward fashionable adornment can ever be. Now, how many of you have noticed that fashions change? How many of you have noticed that? They change. 
Let's just take jeans for instance. All of us like to wear jeans. How, how many of you remember when skinny jeans was all this rage? We went in some store. My daughter happened to be with my wife. And, and when I'm sitting there, I needed a pair of jeans, or at least I thought I did. And so my, my daughter said, hey, Dad, this will be cool. These are this is the new thing. These are skinny jeans. And so anyway, I hold them up. I said, looks like a 13-year-old wears these. But anyway, I went in there and packed everything in, you know, trying to get the, all my legs and everything. I came out. I looked like a kitchen table, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was pathetic. I said, man, my wife's like, I'm so glad you came out here and let us see that. But anyway, <laughs> it was so embarrassing. But anyway, I had to go back in there and do something about it. And then the bell-bottom jeans, they came about. How many of you remember those? I don't know how you walk in those. And then clam digger jeans is what I call them. It's those jeans that come up to here. I didn't like those jeans. My wife bought some. I hit them for, for a long time. I hit them. Where's my, my jeans? I, the clam diggers? That's what I called them. She said, yeah. I said, I ain't seen them. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, I got rid of those. But, and then mom jeans. Now, who thought that would be a good idea to bring those back? I mean, I'm sitting there. I think the fashion world got their heads together, and they said, let's just see how far we can push this to see if they'll bite the bullet to bring mom jeans back. Now, if you're wearing them, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just making a point here. That's all I'm trying to do. But those things are awful. Let's move on. Okay. First <laughs> Peter 3, look at what he's saying. It's not so much about that as it is rather, not so much about outer beauty, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. If, if you want to have a beauty that God acknowledges, that God says this is beautiful, then he's getting ready to tell us what that is. What, what does it mean when God says this is beautiful? First of all, it's incorruptible, meaning it's lasting and pure. It speaks of beauty that cannot be destroyed by time. It's what is going on in that person, in that woman that God is developing. The Holy Spirit is moving in such a way in that, in that woman that God is bringing out the attributes that he likes to see, these, this beautiful thing. But secondly, a gentle spirit, it speaks of being meek and humble. And, and it's really the opposite of being competitive, of being competitive. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people, and I know my wife, when she counsels women, sometimes when you put it on the bottom shelf, women are measuring themselves by other women. And, and I'm just going to tell you, that can be a very difficult place to be. God made you for you. You're special to God for you. And, and the thing you've got to understand is he, he, he's done that. He, he's put that together. But, but a gentle spirit, not one that's in competition, but then a quiet spirit. It means tranquil and patient. It speaks of lack of drama. Lack of drama. And these are the things that God acknowledges. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and, and this is where I am so blessed. I am surrounded, and I'm not bragging here when I say this. I, it's just, when I got to thinking about what this is, to, and it just happened this morning. I sat down this morning. I was looking through the notes, and I said, you know something? I am so blessed as a man that I have women all around me who are this. 
I am so blessed. I've got a wife in which I've been able to watch the Holy Spirit deal with her over the years and work this beauty into her. My son found that. I don't know how she wound up with him, but he found that. My daughter is that. I mean, it's like all these things. And again, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying, I think I take it for granted so many times that this is exactly what God has placed in my life. And for the first time this morning, I acknowledge that, wow, I really am blessed to have this in my life. And that's the thing that we need to be appreciating. Next, wives, be observant. It's a call to find role models who model inner beauty. And where do we find them? Well, you can find them in the scriptures. In the scriptures. The Proverbs 31 woman. Listen to what it says about her. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in a time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. That means her mode of operation she, she, she's, is kindness and gentleness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not lazy. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. And then here it is again. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. She shall be praised. So there's one example. We could go to Ruth. How many of you have studied Ruth's life? Beautiful life. Beautiful story that's there. And then there's Sarah. And it's interesting that Peter uses her as the example. In 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 5. For in this manner... What we saw over here, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, but they were submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. (laughs) Now, let me just say this. This doesn't mean that your husband is your master. Men, she's not, (laughs) it's not the case. That's not what we're talking about here. There's a whole different thing here. It's just, it just means, here's what it literally means. It means to be responsive to your husband's needs. That's literally what it means. Not in an abusive way. We're not talking about an abusive way here. He's talking about this is what this beautiful relationship could become. This is what it's capable of becoming. And that's what he's talking about here. Next, be observant in life. How do you do that? Identifying and modeling godly, godly examples. How many of you agree we all need role models? We all do. Listen, I've told you this many times. God sent me to this church 33 years ago. I'm convinced to put role models in front of me. I I, I, I did, and and I'll tell you, it wasn't just God's word that transformed my life. It was the people that God placed in my life that he used to help transform my life. And as a young man, I needed that. As a young man, I sought that out. As a young woman, you need to seek out the same thing. And we see this even in Titus. In Titus chapter 2, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older woman, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish or teach the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. We all need role models. Next, 
to be observing in life, not only identifying and modeling godly examples, but secondly, identifying and overcoming insecurities. Look at verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. The word daughters there implies two things. Sarah is the older example, and women in, in the faith are considered sisters. Not competitors, but sisters in the faith. When he says, who are not afraid of any terror, I think this is a reference to those women who put most of their time and energy in the outer appearance. And they bring very little time and investment into the inner character. And many women who do this, it's because of insecurities that are in their life. There's something that was back there that calls them to go in such a way hard and go in such a way to overcome possible insecurities in their life. And he's basically saying, you don't have to worry as you get older. If you understand that beauty is fleeting and you understand that God is more concerned about the inner beauty he desires in your life, you'll see those in, in, uh, insecurities just vanish. You'll see those things just fall aside. You see, that's what we see here. And that's what he seems to be saying. Now, let's change gears. A word to the husbands. How many of you women were like, okay, yeah, let's get to them, okay? Well, he's going to give us some bullet points. So here in verse 7, Paul writes his epistle. He writes it in such a way to elevate women from the treatment of the first century. Now, let me just say this. What's said in verses 1 through 6? I'm just going to be honest with you. That was foreign to any, write, any ancient writing about women. You go back and you study the way women were treated in ancient civilizations. They were considered property. They were not considered some, uh, uh, someone who was elevated. And yet, Paul is elevating them in such a way. It's a beautiful thing. Paul does it. Peter does it. So here in verse 7, Peter gives us insight as to what, need, what we need to be for our wives. And he gives us these bullet points. First of all, husbands, be intimate. Be intimate. What does he say? Verse 7, husbands likewise. The phrase husband likewise picks up, and here's, you got to get this, picks up from the conversation of submission. You, you see, we all, when you really think about our life and the way we operate in our lives, whether we're in the workplace or somewhere, there's always this place in which submission is necessary. And many times, submission, the way it's presented here, that Peter's presenting it, submission is lowering oneself to meet the needs of the other. That's the context that's written here. So, so it's not necessarily, here's the authority, this is where you need to be. Now, it is addressed in Scripture, but here it's talking mainly about how you, we, we basically submit to the needs of the other. So look at verse 7 again. Husbands, likewise... Dwell with them. Your wives, dwell with them. The phrase in verse 7 speaks of intimacy. And really, when you think about it, it's on all levels. There's spiritual intimacy, physical, emotional, and verbal intimacy. In a recent survey, this astounded me. And then I got to looking at my own marriage. And, and I, I was convicting in some ways. In a recent survey, the average husband and wife only shared 37 minutes a week an actual real conversation or communication. 37 minutes. It's hard to build anything with 37 minutes a week. 
it's hard to have really any kind of investment that's going to mean anything with only 37 minutes a week. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, he's, God's just performed this, this wedding uh, there, the first wedding. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It speaks of the depth of the relationship. To be intimate with our wives, the only way we can do that is we have to know them. We have to know them. Secondly, husbands, be considerate. Look at verse 7 again. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them. How? With understanding. Now, let me just say this. How many of you agree we, it, it seems like at times we come from different worlds, <laughs> men and women? I know we have a, a culture that's trying to say, there's no differences, there's not this, there's not. Yes, there are. Don't let that deceive you. We're different. We are made different. Matter of fact, men to men, they're different. Women to men are different. It's all different. We're all different in our own way. But there are certain ways in which women operate and certain ways in which men seem to operate. We come from different, different perspectives, and we know we have different needs. Men and women, listen, it appears are from different worlds. With that in mind, here's what we assume. With that in mind, we assume our wives desire what we would want from the marriage. And is that a mistake sometimes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Women are coming at it from a whole different place many times. A man says, well, this is what I would want. Obviously, that's what she would want. How many of you have found not necessarily? And women the same way. So, so why does he say understand them? He's saying get into the world in such a way that you can understand them, understand the needs that are lying there that she needs met in her life. Attempt to go there and understand that. This is why Peter instructs his husbands to understand their wives. Husbands need to understand what nourishes her, what fulfills her, what pleases her. And you may say, well, where did I get this information from? <laughs> you can get it from God's Word. Wonderful Christian books that are out there. I encourage couples all the time. If they come to me and they say, hey, preacher, we're, we're just, we feel like we're out of sync. We, we feel like we're kind of disconnected right now. We, we feel like uh, we don't know what to do at this point. I'll say, I'll recommend a marriage book. I'll say, y'all read a chapter a night together. Discuss it. And, and, and it'd be amazing. Sometimes it's just kick-starting communication is really all it is. And it's so necessary. And we need to understand that. But let me tell you another way. We need to help each other in this. I need to hear from older men. I need to help younger men. That's the role we've been called to do. I couldn't have done it. I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't have done it without God placing the men in my life that he did 33 years ago. I might have picked up on some things later. But man, God just brought the, that. And if you don't have it in your life, pray for it in your life. I've never met a man that says, you know something? I want to stink at being a husband. I, I really, unless they're just bitter or whatever. I've never heard that before. There's a desire there. Go after the desire. Find those. I found those who I thought were doing it well. My wife helped me show me the men that were doing it well when she saw the way they treated their wives. And, and, and that really helped me. So, next, husbands, be appreciative. Verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. Here it is, giving honor to the wife. 
You appreciate her strengths, affirm her contributions. You, you appreciate the fact that she's probably the only person who would ever put up with you. How many of you know that? Not many women can pull this off, you know? And, and we, need, we need to be appreciative of that. We need to understand that. Instead of finding something wrong with her, find ways to compliment her, showing your gratitude. And quit comparing her to others. I hear men do that. I, I hear them making comparisons, and that hurts. I, my, my wife actually told me it did. And I've learned these things along the way. And, and even when you, listen, even when you don't compare her to others out loud, and yet you compare her to others in your head, you know what you become? Ungrateful. Ungrateful for what God has placed in your life. And when you need to think through that. Husbands, be sensitive and strong. I came across this quote several years ago. I love this. The Bible calls men to be something radically different than what we find in our society today. A man is to be tough for his family to provide and protect them. A man is also called to be tender with his family to love and serve them. Any man who is only tough will abuse his family. Any man who is only tender will allow others to abuse his family. I thought that was pretty good. And, and I think that's a tough combination to find sometimes, don't you? You can find the rough, tough guys. I, I've seen them. I've hung out with them. Yes, they did intimidate me at times. But we need to be the tender guy, too. And sometimes it's hard to juggle that. And men, let me tell you this. Quit listening to the world about what masculinity is. Quit listening to the world. We're living in a culture that's trying to emasculate men. I'm just going to be honest with you. You see it in sitcoms, comedy sitcoms. You see it all everywhere. And we got we to gotta take our cues from his word. He tells us how to be men. He, he shows us. He demonstrates it. There's people in scripture that can demonstrate that, and we see it. So here's what I want us to look at. Look at verse 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel. Now, some of you, it's like, mm, he did say it, didn't he? No, God's word said it, thank you. But listen to what we hear. Weaker vessel does not imply that women are inferior morally, spiritually, or intelligently. I'm just going to tell you, my wife is way smarter than I am. She is. If you've been around her, you probably know that. <laughs> and, and it's one of those things where, you know, I'm amazed that God's called me to do this. I feel like, you're more equipped. She said, no, God's called me. I need to be sensitive, but I also need to be strong. Next, weaker vessel does not imply that in general women are weaker in physical strength. And, and, and it's really the idea that women are more delicate, more delicate. I've asked my friend Shelton to come up here. Shelton, come on up here. This is Shelton. If you haven't ever met him, Real nice guy. I got to know him when they were doing some work around here at the church. And uh, he just became a member of our church. Uh, can you tell where I'm going with this right now? <laughs> I feel real delicate right now. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, there's a part of me, I remember I was standing at that door greeting people. Uh, and Shelton was coming in. And, and I saw this shadow appear over me. And I was like... <laughs> What is that? It's him. I couldn't. Anyway, 
But Shelton, he's just a big teddy bear. He's a nice guy. He weighed 18 pounds when he was born. I mean, bless his heart. No, I'm joking. <laughs> his mom assures me that it was close, right? But it, no, she assures me. But, but think about this. In general, men are bigger and stronger than women, okay? I know the world doesn't like to hear that, but they are. But at some point, when we size ourselves up to others, like I said, I'm feeling pretty delicate right now. And there's some of you I could bring up here in which I could make you feel delicate. Not many of you, but there's some of you. So anyway, let's give my hand. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. <laughs> so you see, the idea of delicate is not taking away anything about who she is, her character, anything. It's talking about just in general. Listen, I've met many women. There's a young lady. She was a teenager. She just went to college. Ella. How many of you remember Ella? She spoke up here. That girl could kick my rear end if she wanted to. I know she could. I've seen the muscles. She's bigger than I am. <laughs> but the point is, God has called us as men not to treat our wives, as someone has said, as disposable plates, but like fine china. Fine china. And I'm not going to ask the women to raise your hand if you feel which one you feel like. But men, we need to keep that in mind. Someone told me that years ago, and it always stuck with me. You know, sometimes we, you know, we got to pay attention to these things. A wife who experiences the things found in verse 7 from her husband should not have a difficult time in meeting his needs also as far as the whole idea of submission. Next, husbands, be cooperative. Verse 7 again, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. This verse implies that husbands and wives are to partner together, and they must work together. And the Bible says husbands and wives, it literally says they're yoked together. And sometimes that's not a pretty picture. Look here at the screen here. This is what many of us look like. I'm not going to tell you which one's probably the male in this situation, but anyway. But this is what we kind of look like at times. And, and would you say this is being unequally yoked? But this is what it means in Scripture. It's talking about the yoke, okay? It's talking about that. Now, you see, this is not going to work too well, okay? But here's how we should look. There you go. See, he's cheesing. He knows it's a good so No, that's a horse. Let's go to the next one. There we go. There, there's the picture we got to have right there. And that is the thing that we need to do. They work together. They create a home together that mentors the next generation of believers who live out the principles found in God's Word. And that's what we find here. Lastly, husbands, be aware. Verse 7, last part, that your prayers may not be hindered. How a man, you know what this tells me? How a man treats his wife is a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter. And I'm telling you, there's a direct link. Mistreatment breaks fellowship with God and renders prayers powerless. It also gives the enemy a foothold in the marriage. Husbands are called to be the priest in their homes, to be a spiritual leader there. And when they do this, they are, they are to do this in such a way that they fulfill what we see in verse 7. That they're not creating obstacles for their wives, but bridges for their wives in which needs can be met for one another. So in conclusion, for the above realities to be true in our marriages, selflessness is required. 
We must seek to put the needs of our spouse above our own. Living in a marriage is a call to selflessness. And the Bible says we should be doing it anyway, but it's really dying to oneself. Isn't it amazing how we can do that with everyone else but the people closest to us? I'm guilty of that at times. It seems so easy to lower myself, to meet the needs of someone else, to give a helping hand. But sometimes with those closest to us, we're not too good at it sometimes. And yet we are called to pay attention. So here's the application. God has called couples to be on mission for him. Much of that mission corresponds to how couples experience him together while creating a life that honors and serves him. So experiencing God, what you're going to find, it's either day two or day three. Here's what you're going to find in your study, experiencing God together. There's five things he, he lists, and they're good things to bring all this about. Pray for and with your spouse. Ask each other spiritual questions. Have spiritual conversations. Identify spiritual markers. Talk about those things that maybe you as an individual, how God did something in your life. And talk about those things God's doing in your life right now. It is amazing. I'm just going to tell you, from the conversations I've had, either through email or talking to some of you, it is amazing how this course came in perfect timing for your marriage. It's been a beautiful thing to see how God has done this in marriages. Number four, minister and serve together. Serve together in this. And then give together. Give together. I remember many years ago, I would just, I kind of handled the finances in our home. And, and, and some, sometimes women are better at it than men or whatever, vice versa. But I tend to handle it in our home. And I, I remember years ago, I, I, I would uh, just give. I'd see a need and I would give. And my wife came home one day after church, and she said, you know something? I understand we gave to such and such. I said, yeah, we did. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? She said, do you think I'd like to be in on that? <laughs> I said, maybe you would. Yeah, you probably would, wouldn't you? And so now we've learned to come together and rejoice together and share together and, and do it together. And, y'all, that's what we're called to do when it comes to being a spouse, when it comes to that relationship that God has brought into our lives. This is what we have to work towards. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you now. We just thank you for your blessings. And Lord, I just thank you for marriage. I, I thank you for the way that you've put men and women together in this holy institution of marriage. And Father, the way that you have not only put it together, you, you've even told us how it best works. You explain the roles. You explain the responsibilities. And Father, I pray for the marriages that are represented here today, Father. I know that what we're talking about here today is just that whole idea of literally becoming one in you. And Father, I do pray as we experience God, not only as individuals, but we would find a way to experience you as couples. And Father, I pray that if this study has done anything, it will bring us closer together as we serve, as we give, as we help build your kingdom together. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.